I had some great students who were crushing it. And he looked at me one day, he goes, I'm all good students are just luck. Like those, those are very talented athletes that walked through your door and you're a good teacher. So you're going to get them to a high level. He said, but do you think that these other five teachers are, wouldn't be able to do the same thing with that student? Welcome to the best hour of their day podcast with your hosts, Jason Fernandez and me, Jason Ackerman. With more than 20 years in the business, as both coaches and affiliate owners, our passion is to help create world-class affiliates and coaches by building better boxes. Welcome to the best hour of your day. All right, guys, welcome back. Best hour of their day. Ackerman, Fern, Marcus, very special guest. Unfamiliar scenes for many of you, but this is a jiu-jitsu school owned by Professor Amal Easton. So, Thank you very much for letting us come on the mats and uh, chat with you. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. The reason I wanted to make this happen, right, we typically go to CrossFit affiliates. This is where I train jiu-jitsu, and I wanted to come here and interview Amal because I've been to numerous jiu-jitsu schools over the year. I started in upstate New York, moved to Florida, and then Boulder. And when I moved here, within three minutes of walking in the doors, I was like, this is the place I'm going to join. And for record... I was looking for 10th planet and <laughs> I was looking, <laughs> I was looking for 10th planet. Cause you know, those of you that know jujitsu, Eddie Bravo, the no gi thing, I was very interested in that. I've never lived in an area that had one. So I'm moving to Boulder, see there's a 10th planet and then I'm living down the street and I'm looking it up and I was like, Oh, there's a place a little bit closer. It was about two minutes away from where I lived. And I walked in on day one, professor Alex Huddleston's teaching. So if you don't know who he is, you can look him up. I think he goes by the Shaved Gorilla. He's a giant. He's a giant, former <laughs> MMA fighter in Bellator. But the reason it's important is I walk in the door, and this guy just greets me like he's known me forever. Uh, starts on time, which we will talk about the whole Brazilian time, oh. <laughs> which doesn't happen here. And I was like, man, this guy is just so awesome. Immediately was like, come roll with me, which I can tell was a test because you just is important. How are you going to roll with your peers. And I was like, man, this place is so awesome and signed up that very day. And I think it's important because CrossFit affiliates can learn a lot from this guy, but also just from how other successful businesses run. So you've had, I believe, was it eight or nine Eastons? Yes. Both. both. <laughs> yes. Okay. Somewhere both between eight and nine. Yeah. Eight and nine. That's right. And which one was your first school? This, this one. It wasn't in this location, but uh, Boulder. And what made you start here in Boulder? You were living here and from the area? Uh, you know, honestly, I moved back from Brazil and I thought I was going to Denver and it was a big city. And I came to Boulder just to check it out. And I walked down to the river and I ran into a bunch of old friends that used to kayak and it just felt like home. Yeah. And for you don't know him, but this guy, he's like the surfer outdoor. You're always on vacation doing some sort of outdoor activity, which is, which is pretty cool. Going back all the way, how'd you start jujitsu? Mm, I did martial arts since I was a child in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, I think I was a small white kid and got picked on a lot at school. And, uh, you know, my parents put me in martial arts. I did Thai boxing forever. And one day I got tied in knots by a jiu-jitsu blue belt and uh, the rest was history. I fell in love. In school? No, not in school. Not in school. <laughs> in school, they would just beat me up. <laughs> so we're, but we're, I mean, to get tied in knots by someone... Did you, was that your first experience at jiu-jitsu? Because uh, I did Muay Thai before that. So I always trained Muay Thai, and then we had somebody come. You'd heard about jiu-jitsu. It was in 1992. 
And so you see, there was this fuzzy tape called Gracie in Action. And people, you know, we'd seen it, but it was hard to believe. There's a lot of crap on TV you can't believe. Um, and then I, it was the first time I got to feel it. And the first time you felt the power of it, yeah, it changed my mind. Because 92 was right before the UFC. Yeah, the UFC was the end of 93, I believe. And that was really the boom period for jiu-jitsu, right? This little guy, Hoist Gracie's beating up Ken Shamrock and all these huge guys. And what appears to be the guard position, Hoist takes the mount. That's exactly where Hoist wants to be. Now what Hoist is probably gonna try to do is get his right leg, his left leg over Ken's. Ken doesn't have a good defensive position. He has right above like that. Right, now what he's trying to do, what I think Ken is trying to do is keep Keep hey, poised at watch, watch that leg. Ken's, Ken's going for that leg again. Same thing he did with his previous opponent. And Hoist, watch this. There goes Hoist. He looks like he's going for the back. Oh, Ken's back up. There's the tap. There's the tap. And was that really the big moment where people were like, we got to skip this? I think, yes. That was the moment window. where jujitsu was brought to the world. And, and was that... So you were getting involved prior to that? Yeah, I got fortunate. And then right after that, did you see a big spike in, in the training there? Oh, yeah. And the year and a half after, because it made believers of people, because you no longer could be like, well, that probably wouldn't work. You could still make up reasons why it wouldn't work, but there it was. So small guys, small guys are supposed to be well-equipped. Well, how come I'm not? <laughs> how come I'm not good <laughs> That's What's not going true. on? No, the thing is, is I that feel like I don't want to blame you, but I'm going to put a little <laughs> blame know. on you. I know. It's all your fault. <laughs> I'm a great teacher. It's not me. But... What what for the listeners that don't know enough about jujitsu? Why can someone like we were joking about a hundred and twenty pound female compete against the two hundred and twenty pound monster men in jujitsu? Look, the truth of the matter is, is that if you don't have the skills, then a tiny person will tie you in knots. Right? As the skills start leveling out, the size starts making a huge difference. Anybody, you know, we've had, I had the pleasure of working with some super heavyweights on the pro team for a while. And some of those guys could probably throw me on the roof if they wanted. Like, am I going to be able to defend myself against that? Yeah, if they don't know jujitsu. But once they start learning jujitsu, you teach a big, strong, athletic guy jujitsu, it's going to be a problem. So He's talking about me right there. I was going to say, so if these guys start <laughs> yeah. jujitsu, I'm going to have to deal with them now? That's going to take a while. A little you know? while. you got a, a good head while. start. Well, I heard you're not that good, so I don't know how long <laughs> it's going to take. <laughs> it's very it's, true. It's, it's his coach. <laughs> it's my, you know, you know Bruno Tostas? Yeah, Bruno. So that was my first teacher in, uh, in Albany, and then I moved to Florida, and that school, I don't even want to name the school. Look, Bruno is great, mess. so it's not always the coach's fault. Yeah. So when I, I started, we it's know you. we know the common denominator is. <laughs> I started in Albany under Bruno when he was a purple belt, and it was great to watch him under Henzo Gracie get to his brown belt and black belt. And this is like 2005. There was like two classes a week. It was it was still growing there, but then you know to see it over the last 15 years, it's like any it's like Starbucks these days, and that's why it's important because what people the misconception about CrossFit is you know CrossFit's dangerous or it's not good, and it's like well where'd you go? And the same is very true about jiu-jitsu. I think more so because now it's not only the professor's important, and this guy is like an amazing teacher, but you'd have to trust the people you roll with. So you talk about community, you talk about culture. This is even more important. You know, you go to CrossFit and you get an asshole in your class, he's not going to break your arm. Right. But you go to jiu-jitsu, like you, it's all about who you're rolling with. Well, so. I, I kind of want to go back a little bit further than that. So, like, so you start getting into jujitsu and then what does that look like if as a practitioner before before you even talk about like opening your own studio and any of that stuff 
Uh, you know, it's probably a lot like CrossFit. You go in and you train and it's all you can think about. And when, you know, I don't know, maybe you guys look at shit and you go, I wonder if I could lift that up. <laughs> I look at, I'm like, well, look what he's wearing. I, w I wonder how I could choke him with that collar. Look at the size of that arm. I'll bet I could break it <laughs> if I put him in an arm bar. You know, so you just walk around and you salivate looking at people in oh, kind of a strange great. way. And, you know, you get obsessed about it and you train your ass off. And that's all you can think about. And you lose all your friends and get new friends. <laughs> And then that's how it works. This sounds a lot like crossing. No, but it, <laughs> yeah. it's so true in the jujitsu world. Like people just become obsessed with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because you, you know, the challenging the part about jujitsu versus CrossFit is, you know, CrossFit's measurable, observable, repeatable. I snatch this. Now I snatch this. I'm getting better. Jujitsu is very hard to measure that. And and well, outside we, of the belt system, it's quantifiable yeah. in that you tap them or they tap right. you. It's very binary. But I, then it's yeah. also I had a good day, they had a bad day. Yeah. I was working on something, or they weren't working on something. We got put in a bad position. It's, it's not quite as quantifiable as CrossFit. Yeah, sure. but there are definitely days. Like I was here Sunday, uh, open mat, hour and a half, and you leave, and you're like, something felt good today. Like that felt better than it felt the other day. So yeah. it, you 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 feel that kind of internally. Do do you still? Hundred percent. Recognize good that? days and bad days. Absolutely, especially as I get older. There's you know more bad days and less. So how how long have you been practicing jujitsu at this point? Man, I started in ninety two, so, so, so thirty years. Thirty years. Wow. Thirty. So that's a. I can't believe I'm that old. Well, and and I've heard you say this like you will be a black belt significantly longer than you were any other belt. Yeah. How long did it take you for on your journey from you know starting to black belt? I started in nine, uh, ten years. Ten years. That's yeah. good. I've been doing jujitsu. 15 years, I'm still purple belt. Yeah, but it was all it was all I did. I was obsessed. I moved to Brazil and spent eight hours a day on the mat. And But that is one thing I love about jiu-jitsu. Like, I did taekwondo as a kid, and it's like, okay, it's been three months. Here's your yellow belt. You know, you have to pay for it, by the way. Here's your <laughs> green belt. Here, it's like you you progress based on are you actually you coming in and improving, practicing, right? Yeah. I mean, you must have... you. I, I kind of see a little bit of what goes on. There's clipboards that come out in the middle of class, but there, look, there's different ways that you quantify somebody's, uh, you know, how their growth in jujitsu. One, one of my favorite ways I've heard it quantified was by Hoyler Gracie, a friend of mine. I said, Hoyler, what does it take for somebody to get a black belt? And he said, if you train consistently for 10 years with me, then you get your black belt. And whether you wear it with pride or whether you wear it with shame is up to you. I, I like that. And the person that introduced me to CrossFit is now a black belt under Bruno. So he introduced me to CrossFit, and I think this is a Henzo Gracie quote, but he used to remind me, he'd say, Jay, a belt covers an inch of your ass, you have to cover the rest. Yeah. And that was always important to, for me to remember. Like, if you're doing it, just like CrossFit, if you're doing it for that reason alone, right. you're not going to last. You have to do it for the love of growth and education and development on these mats, and Without that, you know, the, the belt system doesn't really matter. Well, and here, here's something that I think, you know, I understand that you guys talk about the business of CrossFit, and I think this is a large part of it. With jujitsu, people always say that you have to leave your ego at the door because when you come in, you're a beginner, everyone's going to beat the hell out of you, and if you have an ego, you're not going to like that, and you're going to leave. But I think what people gloss over is that you're, if you stay, that you're going to have to do that again. Because you're going to get really good and you're going to beat everybody up and then you're going to get old. 
And I, you know, I see this with lifting because people quantify so strongly, this is what I do. And then they keep trying to do that as you get older and you're going to be broken. You're not going to be able to do it. It's the same thing. I watch a lot of people sadly quit what they're doing because it's too much and their expectations, like it's not always like that. So, you know, as you get old, it's an interesting thing how to age in a sport like that or an activity. 100%. Well, and I, that perfect age where like I'm 43 but now, man, jiu-jitsu is, like, even more popular. So all these youngsters are coming up in their 20s. And I'm like, you know, even though I'm a purple belt, like, these young, they're 20 years. Well, and I've and, heard you and social media. Like, they, like we didn't learning. have that. Yeah. I had to learn from my instructor. That was it. Yeah, there was none he, of that. Now you can go on YouTube and see the best guy in the world breaking down his technique or any of the best guys. Yeah, in that's the world. an interesting aspect to that with regards to just the ability to learn at a much, at like, at an exponential rate. Or something like and this. I, I think that that's more so for jujitsu than CrossFit, but I think in CrossFit it's probably true too because you get to see people's training routines. Yeah, and, and they we were just talking it about it before the show. How how yeah. much is available online, and how that is the go-to resource. Whether you're a new coach or a seasoned coach on learning different ways to teach, different different approaches, different progressions, and it makes all the difference. Where not that long ago that was not available. And you really had to rely on who you actually knew to teach you their method and their style. It's evolved a ton. Well, well, I have an old friend, Ralph Kahn, and he grew up, you know, he escaped Nazi Germany, showed up in Chicago as a kid. He became a boxer. And he used to say to me, you know what? He said, back in the day, you could make your entire career boxing off of two or three moves because there was no video. People didn't get to watch film. So they, you were either there live and you got to see it once or you got to hear about it, but it wasn't the same. You could, you know, a certain way you fade and throw a right cross, knock your, knock someone out with that. That might be your whole career. Now you have to have, you know, everybody breaks it down, watches the video, trains against a specific fighter. You got to have 100 moves. Yeah. At what point did you transfer, like from, I, I would assume you're still a student of the craft, obviously, but from you moved from being student to teaching and opening your studios. Like how long have you had the studios? Uh, 20 years. Okay. So 10 years. So 10 what, years what did that transition look like? So I'm, I, because I have, do have questions about, so I'm looking up here on the board and we talk about this idea of like lineage and, and coaching and training. And I'm, I'm assuming this is, this is yours up here on the wall yeah. up here. Yeah. And I think, um, that's super cool. Number one, but what, at what point you're like, Hey, I want to do this and I want to teach other people this. Um, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I taught a lot of things. I taught skiing. I taught, you know, used to take care of kids all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I taught a lot. I think it really comes at the point where they're like, all right, you, it's time to get a job. <laughs> what do you want to do? Because you know, honestly, I was trained in acupuncture. So my degree okay. was in acupuncture. When I, I moved back that. from Brazil, I didn't really admit that I wanted to open a martial arts school for a while because I had to see like the viability and if I thought it was something I was really going to enjoy. I worked in a lot of restaurants and looked at maybe a 50 or 60 year old waiter and it didn't look like they were having that much fun. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for something that I was going to enjoy, but acupuncture was kind of what I trained to do. Okay. And I thought I was going to open an acupuncture um, studio and a martial arts studio. And the acupuncture felt like work and the jujitsu felt like fun. Unfortunately, uh, things went well for me. I think I did a reasonable job and people wanted to train and that was it. I never worked again. I love it. So, uh, you know, what I really want to dive into here is having been to multiple jujitsu schools, you do it really, really well here. And like I said, it started from day one and... One of the things that we talk about with CrossFit is, you know, the owner's vibe and their beliefs and all that trickle down. And I think you've done that exceptionally well. 
I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years, but a lot to me when I talk to you strikes me as like, yeah, it worked out. Like we got the right people, <laughs> but I don't think that's entirely true. I think you're doing and continue to do a lot of things well. One of which is you still have clearly a passion for teaching. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays here at noon when you're not skiing or surfing somewhere around the world, you're teaching an amazing class to the point that these guys don't realize, but I adjust my schedule to be here. Oh, thank you. And, you know, with with a baby, it's not always easy, but I, I do my best to be here because you do such a good job. How have you kept that passion going? Because I think a lot of CrossFit coaches, after a while, passion is a shelf life, as, as we like to say. How do you Have you kept that burning for nearly 30 years? I think people start from different places. A lot of people start, like, they might be amazing at CrossFit, and so then they think they're going to open a CrossFit gym. Um, I think being amazing at CrossFit and being an amazing teacher might be two different things. Um, I, I see the same thing with jujitsu. Somebody might be a world champion, but that doesn't really give them the empathy of how uh, difficult it is for to learn for somebody that's not as physically gifted. Like um, me. So <laughs> I don't think that I was like the most physically gifted person in the world. I did love it. Right. But I had to learn. I had to, you know, when I came up in jujitsu, I feel like I had amazing teachers and that gave me the ability to win a ton of tournaments and do very well. I, I have the opportunity now to work with, say, ex-pro football players. And that is a different kind of animal. Like there's no way that I could compete against those guys if we had even similar knowledge. Right. So fortunately, I had knowledge that was above and beyond. But also what I'm saying is that I don't think I had any, you know, I had reasonable ability. I've always been pretty, uh, you know, kinesthetically gifted or, you know, worked reasonably well, but I'm not like a huge athlete. I wasn't D1. I was warming up the bench on the junior varsity teams. Mm -hmm. um, but it gave me a certain empathy for people that are learning that might not uh, be world champions. And it made me uh, really, I think, appreciate and want to share the art with normal people. Because uh, that's kind of how I felt like uh, I was. Now, of course, that means a wide variety of people. But um, I really like learning myself, and I really like seeing average people or, you know, normal people get a hold of it and, like, give them this powerful tool, which is jiu-jitsu. And I think that if you come from a different place where you were maybe a champion, everything came super easy for you, it's hard for you to understand that struggle. And if you what you want to have is a gym of just champions and then good luck. You know, it might work out if you've got a big name and you're in a big city, it might work, but you're going to turn a lot of people off in the, uh, on the road. And if that's your objective, that's totally fine. Well, that's par for the course in the CrossFit space too. We tell people this all the time. I'm like you, you like most, cro most good CrossFit athletes are, are not very good coaches for that exact reason. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not great. And there's a people that try to create their business model off of creating CrossFit games, athletes, again, not successful. And I'm like, and it's, not rewarding. It's not rewarding to take somebody who's a really good athlete and make them just a little bit better. I mean, there, there is a little bit there, but I think it depends I, I, on what I, your, what, what, what what's your important is. to you, right? I think for the person who's more interested, like for you, where you say that felt like me, right? That yeah. you, you are, you're wanting to give back in a way to your younger self or to what you wish you would have had or what maybe what felt so special to you. You're able to pass that on. For me, I wasn't that, that athlete either. Yeah. I was the one who had to kind of learn the hard way. And that's what made me a, a pretty damn good teacher, given like how 
my, the time that I spent teaching, but that's, that's who I helped the most. When an athlete came in who was super talented, like we had uh, a guy who worked for, ended up working for us. He was a phenomenal athlete. Like it was, it was unreal. He would learn things the first time and it was beautiful. He couldn't teach it to save his life because he was like, you just get up there and you just do it. And I'm like, that's not how she's going to learn. This is not how she needs to hear this. And he, he ended up quitting. Like he stopped being a coach completely because like this sucks. I just want to work with the good guys. And I'm like, well, this isn't the right gym for you right? because that's not who we serve. That's not what's who I'm trying to take care of. And so he ended up wanting to go off and do something totally different. I call them tough dishwashers. All they've done their whole life is wash dishes and they can come into the gym and crush it because they have the ability. Mm. Right? So somebody that's that naturally gifted, of course, everybody feels good to have that student because they're like, oh, look how good I am as a teacher. (laughs) He's crushing it. But what about the other nine people who can't do the wad? Right. What about the 50-year-old who walks into the gym and he wants to get in shape and do all that and he starts the wad and he's like, and he breaks his back, yeah. you know, or jacks himself up because it's, it's just too much. The expectations need to be set in such that that's one of the difficulties I personally have with CrossFit. I love CrossFit, but it, it takes over everything. So for me, if I'm looking for something that is an adjunct to the other stuff that I do, jujitsu or skiing or mountain biking, whatever it is, uh, CrossFit ruins me. It's so hard. And so I end up, you know, so I think that that perspective from a gym owner is like, okay, who's my clientele? Are they looking to be client, uh, CrossFit athletes or are they looking for something that's going to be an adjunct to the rest of their life? Like, is this person taking CrossFit so they can ski better or ride their bike better? Well, then if you work them too hard in that class, they might not be able to do that. Or if somebody's 50 and they come in, is it challenging movements? Are they going to be able to feel like they're safe? I always say the first time somebody comes into your gym and they say, I hope I don't get hurt today. That's it. You lost that student. If you were to look back, would you, did you have that same mindset when you first started teaching? Cause if I was to be very candid with you when I was a younger coach, I did not have, but that's the way I think at it now. Think about it now. I look at, and I try to impart that on other coaches that listen, this is not about CrossFit. Like this is about giving somebody an experience that they can use as a lever to do whatever else they want after this. So who cares what movement they do? It's not really that important. It doesn't matter. What matters is they come in here you teach them something, you give them a good experience, and then you make them better than when then they came in. And I feel like that's a lot of what you're saying. But that wasn't me. It was that, did you, did you have a little bit of that insight when you were younger, or is that something that you gained via years of experience? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm pushing, the, pushing the limit here a little bit too much. Because I would imagine you can do this in almost any endeavor. Where like yeah. you can go too far in on this. Like, oh, I was trying to make a bunch of killers in here, and like it's not working out for me. Both. Okay. You know, like I think I was sensitive to try, you know, I've tried a lot of different things in my life. So I was sensitive to the struggle of trying to learn something new. But I also think that I learned a lot during the way. I think any beginner coach takes a lot of pride in creating like a champion student. I remember another one of my teachers, Elio Seneca, I had some great students who were crushing it. And he looked at me one day, he goes, I'm all good students or just luck. Like those, those are very talented athletes that walked through your door and you're a good teacher. So you're going to get them to a high level. He said, but do you think that these other five teachers are, wouldn't be able to do the same thing with that student? And I was like, okay, I'm not saying you can't squeak out an extra one or 2%, but on the big picture, you know, a good athlete is going to be able to go, you know, pretty, pretty far with pretty, you know, pretty good places. So, you know, we work a lot to make sure that that doesn't become a problem because every beginner instructor is going to want to teach the most fancy, crazy thing they can because they want to prove their worth and they measure their worth, you know, by how good their students are. 
And that's not necessarily what should be going on. So because of that, we have a very strict curriculum, which the teachers have to teach when they start out. Because otherwise I walk in and they're doing something completely off the wall. And I probably, I for sure did the same thing. And I know CrossFit's the same thing. You walk into the class and they're like, okay, I'm bored as hell of teaching how to do a proper squat. So we're just going to freaking do it today. And, you know, 90% of the class is not ready for that. You're not wrong. <laughs> but you know, okay, so, but let's let's take that to the business level because I think that's really important, right? It, like I was talking about earlier, going to different schools, it was clear like the instructor would come in and be like, "What do I want to teach today?" Yeah, I call it the two-step plan. <laughs> <laughs> Show up, teach class. Yeah, and it, it'd be like, "You're teaching a Baron Bolo. Like these guys don't know a basic armbar or a triangle. Like why are you teaching that?" And I think here I've noticed, especially you know, coming to the same teachers' class like you, like. There was a one-month period recently where we worked on Butterfly Guard, you know. So there's clearly a, a plan going on, and I think that's something that, for some reason, in the jiu-jitsu world, doesn't often happen. I know you guys are yeah. – you have an online platform as well that you're working on to help other jiu-jitsu schools learn that type of stuff because that, that's where I think there's a little bit of a disconnect in the jiu-jitsu world, that type of stuff. And this is something also, and I'd love your opinion on it, it's often like – all right, guys, we're going to do a, a quick warm-up, maybe, drill. Uh, I'm going to start the clock five-minute rounds. Why do you think in the in the jiu-jitsu space there's no, hey, we're going to do shark bait once in a while. We're going to do one-minute intervals as hard as you can and switch. We're going to do 20-minute rounds. Most of the time, it's like somewhere between five and seven minutes. So why why is it just the old-school mentality of this is what I did or – is it because you think that's the best path? Why do you think that jujitsu schools aren't varying that? Mm, I think that there's no like recognized teaching authority in jujitsu, and that's you know for better and for worse probably. So there's not different standards and maybe different teaching methods. A lot of people you're going to teach, and I'm guilty 100, percent but you're going to teach what you're working on because that's what's fresh in your right. mind. So your class, if you don't have a curriculum, is going to end up gravitating towards whatever that is. Um, so, you know, if you get a young, young person who's obsessed about jujitsu and they're, you know, working on being a champion, then you're going to be working on a lot of the same things they're working on, which is cool. It's amazing, but maybe not everybody's ready for that. Well, the gym owners are guilty of that too, with regard to, well, I'm, I'm working on, you know, trying to build a bigger engine or a different skill set, And all of a sudden, like everybody's got that, but my 70 year old Christina doesn't need to be doing any of that. I'm like, why, why would we be doing any of this? Like, this yeah. makes no sense. Like, this is about you. This is not about the student. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I, don't, I think everybody's guilty of that. Yeah. Like, and it's, so, so talk to me but a little more, bit more about more the so, curriculum. More so young students. They don't have quite as big right. of a, a, you know, so, and they want to prove their worth. They're insecure. So. As where we are. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been wanting to get into jujitsu for a long, and I'm, and I'm going to this year. The, um, but I, I was asking Steve Haydock about it. And so Steve Haydock is somebody that we work with and. He's a black belt. He's a black belt. And uh, I was like, hey, like, how do I, how do I pick a good school? Like, how do I know I'm walking into it? Like, just like I would, if somebody asked me about a CrossFit affiliate, they're like, how do I know I'm going into a good gym? And he said very simply, he's like, it should feel like you walk into a good CrossFit gym where they warm up properly. They do some drills. They teach you stuff. They don't just throw weight on the bar. He was like, it should feel like a well-taught class. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I don't know. I wouldn't have just assumed that would be the, the case. And that's what I was talking about. When I walked in here, it was like that. I was like, first of all, I was shocked that they were starting. I like showed up at maybe it was 1030. Am I going to be early? I'm going to show up at 1030 for the 1030 class. And they're rolling. I was like, what's happening? You guys start on time here? And they, you know, that's unusual 
We yeah. joked about Brazilian time. Like, I love Bruno. Um, but class never started within 15 minutes of when it was supposed to. And it's kind of this Brazilian time thing. Like, oh, pa. He was just, what's that word, pa? He would always Boa. like, pa, pa, pa. Is it like Hawaiian time? We're like, we'll just kind of get it's to it whenever. basically like that. Like, Before sundown. But, yeah. the, you know, this was organized and just super friendly. And like I said, the people you roll with are really, it's great to have a great teacher, but I need to be able to know that I'm going to show up and no one's going to try to, you know, everyone's trying to hurt each other, but in a friendly way, if you right. will. We always say sweat, smile, and learn. Like you have like to that. get a good workout. You have to have a good time. You have to learn something. And I would add to that, you have to feel safe. That's a big one, I think. Right? I mean, if you're a little kid, it might be okay, a little more okay. But anybody who's 30 years old or older has been hurt before and knows they can be hurt again. So, you know, it's funny sometimes running a, you know, a school or more than one school or however it is, you, at least I tend to be like, God, I don't know anything really. There's nothing special. I know we could probably sit down in the next 20 minutes and I could just give you the whole formula and then you know everything I know. But I think that what it starts from is just your objective. Why are you teaching? Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you trying to create champions? Are you just trying to enrich people's lives? And then is, are your classes really lined up to create and make that happen? So, like we said, eight or nine schools. This is your first one. Did you go to Denver next? Yes. So what I've seen from a distance is all of the schools run independently and well. Yeah. You know, I've been to the Arvada location and here I've seen the other ones online. It looks, and correct me if I'm wrong, like it's a well-oiled machine and you really don't have your hands in a lot of the other locations. Is that true? That's true. How, how have you managed to do that? Because one of the big mistakes we, we talk to affiliates about is, hey, this first place is going well, so you know what I'm going to do? Open a second place. That's going to just destroy all this good stuff I'm doing. <laughs> how have you done that so successfully, not just once, twice, eight times? I mean, you have to be able to take yourself. You have to be able to create a well-oiled machine. It's, you see all kinds of ways this is done wrong, but you see it in the restaurant business. You see it all kinds of ways. People have a railroad machine, but it relies a lot on them. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of my most, some of my good friends who have the most successful academies are doing great in life just as far as happiness. And then if you wanted to quantify it with money, one school runs well. You know, if they have an issue with a staff member, then don't let them hit it. Don't let, you know, don't let the door hit them in the ass. They can just teach the classes and jump in whenever they need. If you think you want to open two schools, first of all, I'd say it's definitely not for everybody. But the first thing you need to be able to do is take yourself out of the first school. You have to have bench strength. So you have people teaching the class. You have to have backup for when your most important person quits, you know, because you're going to be gone. And then you have to have that school. I... I used, I used to call it the Merry Christmas motherfucker. I would go every year I would go to Brazil for uh, Christmas. And what would happen is that I had some great coaches that would teach when I was gone and half of my student body would put their memberships on hold. They'd be like, awesome. You're gone the month of December for Christmas. That's wonderful. I hope you have a great time. Why don't you put my membership on hold? I'll be back in January when you get back. And I think some of them thought like that was a great compliment. You know, because, like, we love your teaching right. so much. But you know what? Like, you know, there's a saying in Brazil, don't give, don't give a snake wings. They'd be like, well, don't let your instructor look too good because then he's going to go open up next door to you. Um, and you're not going to go far with that attitude because what you have to do is give him wings. But the second part, which I see a lot of people fail, is they want to open two or three or four schools, but they're not doing a good job. 
With the first one. With the first yeah. one. I mean, you, you, like, if I want quality staff, I have to be able to provide a quality enough service to pay them what they're worth and provide the growth for them. So that's what I see a lot is people, I'm like, well, you suck. You shouldn't have two schools. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or it just you're not, multiplies like, honestly, the problems. And I'm not trying to say I'm great or anything. Fortunately, I've been able to get good people around me and something's worked out. But... If you don't have one school crushing it on its own and then like, okay, I've got my systems in place so it doesn't need me, like it's a ship on its own, I could leave for a month and everything stays smooth, then you're not ready for two schools and God forbid three. That's, that's actually the, f I learned it the hard way. And that's the first thing I tell anybody who's it's the best way to learn it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it again, but the, I tell everybody who's there, I'm going to open a second one. I'm like. Your first one, you have so much more room to get to the ceiling of your first one. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know, and that's automatically setting you up for failure for the second one. And they're like, I'm like, you're still involved in the machine in the first one. And it, I think a lot of people misinterpret this, which is like, I'm not saying you shouldn't want to be there. You shouldn't need to be there. Like, you, that thing should just run. You should have kick-ass staff in there who are as good, maybe better than you. And you should not, and uh, CrossFit owners, like nobody can do it as good as I can. I'm like, wrong. Most people could probably do it better than you. You have a, you have a skewed view of the world. And it's okay if they're better than you. Well, and that's classic, though. I mean, nobody cleans the bathrooms better than I do. I mean, attention to detail, that shit's clean. But I'll tell you what, I, I can't be the one that cleans the bathrooms. Right. There's too many gyms. I can't clean eight schools' bathrooms. Right. That's where it starts. Right. Well, what he was saying reminded me of what we said with Buddy, automation just helps you fail faster. Yeah, he's like, it that, it, it, yeah, it makes you bad really fast. And that's what happens <laughs> when you automate, which is basically expanding into multiple gyms. So this was the, the main focus, and you said Denver was next. So two questions. What about, what was going so well here that you said, okay, I definitely need to go to a second location? And is that when, if you look on the wall, Professor Elliot Marshall became involved? Because he's your partner now in yeah. all of the locations. Mm -hmm. So Elliot, former UFC fighter, mm -hmm. on the Ultimate Fighter. I remember watching him in New York, you know, when I was just starting jiu-jitsu. So it was pretty cool. I had no idea. You know, I walk into class, I'm like, that dude, A, he's a giant. So I was like, I don't want to roll with him. <laughs> but B, super nice guy, super motivating. But you realize the importance of bringing on someone to help you in this endeavor. Yeah, a little younger, hungry, you know, like... Uh, he had a lot of the skills that I didn't have, which I think is important. Do you guys think you balance each other out pretty well in that role there? Yeah, for sure. What, what is something that you think Elliot brings to the table that you don't? Elliot's amazing at teaching kids classes, and he uh, has really he's really good at selling. I could see that. He's, and he also gives, in my opinion, the best. You know, at the end of jujitsu classes, there's usually like a little bit of a pep talk. He gets he gets me like. Pretty fired up. He has this one thing. So Fern and I have a ton of public speaking experience. Mm -hmm. We work for CrossFit. So I, whenever someone's talking, I'm hearing like a lot. So you, I'll tell Elliot. I've never told him this. He will give like a pep talk, but then he asks a question, and he but he doesn't give you the time to answer. <laughs> and what he's the question he's asking is like. No one knows that except for you. Like, you knew what you asked. You get what I'm saying when he does that? He'd be like, you know, uh, you know, so you walk into class. Why'd you walk into class? To feel better. I'm like, I don't, I didn't know why. Like, you just answered it for me, but it's always funny to hear him, but it gets you fired up the way he does it. He's really, really cool. But, you know, you go to Denver. 
what was first? Okay, I'm going to open Denver, or I need help, and I'm going to bring somebody No, no, no. Out. I brought him in. I, we had three schools, and then I brought him in. It was maybe 10 years after. Well, so you had Denver running already? Like 10 years ago. Okay. Maybe a little longer. And then? We had Denver, and then Centennial, and then and then we brought Ellie in. Um, yeah, I needed help. I also, you know, I can say be very careful what partner you choose. You know, like, it's like, uh, don't get married to the first girl you meet. Or don't get, you know, don't, don't get married to whoever you look in the mirror. You know, I think the most common thing is I'm a great CrossFit athlete and my best friend's a great CrossFit athlete. <laughs> right. Let's, Let's open, open a, a business gym, together. Yeah. But who's going to clean happen? the bathrooms? Right. Right. Who's going to work the front desk? Who's, and so I'm not so in that respect, like. Elliot and I don't have different enough skills, but we were at a place where we could start, we were starting to hire that out, but he had some great, you know, some skills that I didn't have for sure, but that's an important part. I mean, a lot of people learn that the hard way. Don't necessarily hire the person that looks just like, or has the same <sighs> skills as you. Like just cause you both love CrossFit might just mean that you never figure out how to work the front desk. It's, yeah. it's someone the has number, to do that. It's the number one hiring mistake that i think crossfit affiliate owners make is they go and they're like well i like marcus like we can bring him on and then i'll give him all of these things and i'm like well number one you don't know what you actually need so that's the first problem yeah. so we have to figure that out and number two we don't know if market is marcus is good at any of the things that you actually need you're just like i like marcus and there's a chance yeah. that that could work out but there's a lot of variables that we would like marcus Unlikely. needs to be yeah <laughs> right and and i'm like figure out what you need first and then hire for that like absent of any name or face like there's plenty of people that you like that you should never hire for anything or make a business partner yeah. Like I still don't know why I'm business partners with them. Because <laughs> we're so different. <laughs> that's true, actually. Um, but I think that's is recognizing, okay, what do I need? And then the humility, because a lot of what I'm hearing you say is just have a level of humility that allow you to make some of these decisions. Is It's okay to like hire somebody who's really great and might be better at you, better than you at a lot of things. God, at this point, everybody's better than me at everything. That's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's uh, that's success, and that's also scary, right? In some ways, yeah, hundred percent. It makes you feel very vulnerable. So this this day with eight locations, how much time are you spending at the other seven? Because I've only ever seen you here. I feel like sometimes I've mentioned things at other locations. You're like. Oh, who's that? <laughs> and I'm like, he ran the last seven <laughs> classes I took. And you're like, oh yeah, he's great. Um, how how much are you actually involved in the other location? Maybe not as much as I should. No, I don't know. I mean, you know <laughs> you're putting me it, on the spot. But it's good. Not to, very I, it's good I, that I go. You can be the... I go. You know, to most of the other locations, maybe three times a year. Wow. That, that to me, that's what's so. You know, when these guys yeah. are like, "Why are we going to a jujitsu school?" I'm like, "For that reason." Like, right? Because it's it's. Obviously, what you've done is great, but it's also what I'm interested in. How have you made that culture transcend everybody? I mean, you come here and... So here's what I can say real quick, just to make things clear. I go to them maybe three or four times a year, but we have at this point, you know, a president of our company, Mike, who has staff meetings constantly, is... We have program directors who are meeting with a program director from every school constantly. It's not like you can start the school and then just leave it be. You know, we have jujitsu, Muay Thai, and kids. So we have jujitsu meetings every week. All, you know, from with all the, with the instructors? The, well, with the head guys from each school. So each location has a main guy of each department. Each location, unless it's small, and then sometimes somebody has to wear two hats. But they're going to be, okay, we have person A is jujitsu, person B is striking, person C is kids. And then 
those three people, we have those three people at every school, like I said, unless they're small. Well, when we have the meetings, so that everybody can be on the same page, all of those head people have to be on that at that meeting to keep everybody, like there is a lot of touches with those schools. It's not by me at this point, but that's only because uh, I have people that are better at that working in my, you know, doing that job. Did you envision that, you know, 20 years ago when you opened this place? You know, not to the extent that we are right now, but definitely I had the idea that I couldn't do everything, even though I am the best at cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> but I mean more <laughs> so like... Pole cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the toilets are I, pretty I, clean in there. I, can't. I, I was a say, master myself. We, we, we <laughs> run not out as good as if fast. I was doing them. Not <laughs> as good as if I was doing them. <laughs> yeah. So, but I meant more so, that's cool to think about this location, but eight locations... Yeah, it's insane. Did you think about that 20 years ago? No, definitely Were you just not. like, I'll have Boulder. I don't necessarily need to be cleaning the toilets, but there'll be a team there, not eight other teams. Yeah, see to your pants. You're like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> no, you start having good bench strength. You know, you start creating programs that are creating good coaches. You see that you're doing a better job than other people in the industry so that you are creating the potential for um, – potentially high yielding people. You know, these people could open their own jujitsu schools. These people could open their own CrossFit gyms, but they can see that what you're creating, the economy of scales, that you've got somebody doing great marketing for all the locations, you know, that you can have a great curriculum all worked out like the systems that takes forever to figure out. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that stuff down pat so that people, so that quality people are going to be happy working with you and be able to grow with you. That's a huge responsibility. I don't think everybody wants to be the man and have eight gyms. And I don't even have to go to them that much, but it's a lot of stress just thinking about, fuck, are we like, do I deserve all these freaking rock stars? Cause we have a lot of rock stars. And so I wake up every morning like, okay, we got to make sure that we deserve them because if we don't deserve them, they should leave. And that's a, that's a problem in the CrossFit world. You're, the coaches aren't getting paid enough you know, the box owners are being potentially a little selfish with the money coming in, but it sounds like you're taking such good care of them. Have you had anyone leave and open their own school? Come on, man. We have, we have made, we, I think we have 150 staff members right so now. The, this I've, definitely happened over I've the years. I've cried mm -hmm. myself to sleep more days than you can remember. You, yeah, we've lost a lot of great people. Do you remember the first person that left you to open their own school? Yes. How's that relationship now? It's great. We're good friends. Was it was it good then? He did it in a good way. Okay. Yeah, he did it in a good way. He said, "Look, this is what I want to do. I, you know, I'd like to go to one of these three places. Do you feel? How do you? What's feel not local about that? then? Either no Fort Collins. If he opened yeah. in Boulder, I wouldn't be okay with that. Really? So if no if, if somebody, a current teacher, said, "I'm going to open two miles down the road," you would be upset about that? Yeah, a hundred percent. And so what you're suggesting is kind of. Don't bite, don't, don't bite the hand that feeds you for like that if, person. If, if somebody, if, if I, if I learned everything that I know from somebody, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything that's going to, that's going to fuck with their whole scene. That's a challenge in the CrossFit no world though. I know. You I know, know. So what are some of the things from what I'm hearing? It's like, just take good care of your staff. Do you think that's a big part of why you're not seeing that happen repetitively here? I'll give you like, for example, we I think that we Alex. provide a lot of backup. We provide a lot of support, and we provide we we let them shine in what they're good at. They would be worse off if they went to their own thing. Mm, you know, at least at least debatable, but at least temporarily in the, in yeah. the outset. Yeah, uh, that's what we try to create. Is like, man, we're going to grow something spectacular together, and as a team, we're going to do wonderful. 
you know, like I can sit here on this podcast and mm-hmm. talk about how great I am, but the truth is I suck. I've got a hundred people behind me who crush it, mm-hmm. you know, or 10 people that are really good. And you know what? I have some, you know, and then some people are going to leave. They're going to find their own path or so they're going to go, you know, maybe whether it's work in a restaurant or go to law school or, or, you know, become whatever it is, they're going to go beep. That's fine. Looking you know? back uh, out of all of the experiences that you've had, starting from your own individual location, going to three, bringing on partners, scaling to this team where you've got this beautifully systemized operation now, we're able to create an environment that breeds rock stars where people want to stay. They're not, you know, just coming to you to go open down the street. There's respect. There's there's potential for longevity and all this. What would you say would be your biggest lessons learned along the way if you could distill it down to a handful of the most important things that you think people the mistakes i don't want to say the common mistakes but more like what would be the few key items you would say focus on these elements first and this will help pave your path forward regardless of whether you just want one great studio or 10 great studios uh i think i think it starts with really uh understanding what you're providing what service are you providing and who are you providing that service to and that sounds generic but for me i really feel like i enjoy empowering people and watching people learn jujitsu and sharing that gift and and then who are those people a wide variety of people like i don't care if you have two left feet you can barely walk a straight line if i can teach you to tie people in knots that makes me happy and so i really like it hurts my soul when people quit jujitsu you know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I was unpopular as a child or whatever it is, but I want them to love right. jujitsu mm-hmm. and that I want that more than anything else. So when they come into that class, you know, that could be, you know, that could be their last class and who's going to teach their last class. Not me. I don't want to teach your last class. I want to make sure that I teach them a class that they want to come back to the next time. So like just really caring about the people. And a lot of people say they care about the people or maybe think they care about the people, but, uh, I think they don't. So what do you look for? We have great teachers here. You know, you got Fernie, we got Will, you know, so many, Professor uh, Alex. What do you look for in those guys? Because some of them are starting as blue or purple belts, right? So they're not two, three years into their journey here. What do you see in them for you to say they're going to be the next Amal? They're gonna, not the next Amal, but another great teacher here. You know what? That's a funny thing. Cause like, well, when, it, when do you ask somebody to, uh, like you, you have a gym. Mm-hmm. When do you start looking at somebody to maybe be a teacher? I, it's based on a lot of what you just said, which is like, I want to see, I want to figure out their, why they're there. I don't I actually don't care about anything else other than like, why are you here? Like what, like what is the interaction that you're looking to have with, with these people? So we have, we have ranked system, you know, white belt, blue right. belt goes through the ranks. I think you can start looking for a teacher at white belt. And some people would think that was disgusting, but no, I might plant the seed. You're doing a great job as a white belt. I like your personality. I like the way you relate with people. I like, I watch you in class. I get to see how you relate with the different, you know, sometimes you get people who are more difficult to work with, sometimes less. Uh, at the end of the day, you're only stuck with yourself, but I can say, Hey, I think you'd be a great teacher someday. Yeah. Cause you care. Plant the seed. Yeah. You yeah, care. Cause you care. And then, you know what? Uh, a beginner CrossFit person might be way more interested in teaching somebody how to do like a basic squat with no weight. Oh, so they might be a better teacher for the fundamentals and beginners than you are. That's not to say there's not going to be a place in their progression where they start needing somebody with a little more in-depth knowledge, but you don't have to have, you know, like it doesn't have to be the champion of the CrossFit game. Oh no, I'm actually, beginner classes. I'm like, 
I don't wouldn't say I'm opposed to that, but I actually <clears throat> there's a lot of things that are qualifiers yeah. before that. Like I don't care like being what, good is far down on that. Yeah, list. yeah, being good at this is is actually like one of the I can I can teach you most of those things like, as I'm sure you could with yeah. I, like I can teach you how to teach a bunch of like I don't care about any. That's the easy part. Like yeah. are are you a turd? Like are you nice to people? Do you genuinely, you care, genuinely care about yeah. people yeah. that walk in the door? Are you are you taking in full context of that this person has had a terrible day and I can recognize that you see that. Yeah. You know, that's like, I'll give you a perfect example. So, uh, Cassidy, who's my GM now, who's been with me for 10 years, but I, he did something the other day where like uh, there was a member came in and she came in and she like immediately walks up to him. She starts crying. She's like, and she, they're both dog people. Her dog had died that day. Yeah. And I like, I, the interaction, what I saw is like, that is what I'm looking for. Like, yeah. forget his skill set. He was just like, he was like, I'm sorry. He picked her up, gave her a hug, walked her up to the front, sat down, talked to her. And I'm like, that's not what he's here for. Like he's a CrossFit coach, but he cares enough about this person to understand. It's like, Hey, I'm going to need to spend some time with you for the next 10 to 15 minutes because your dog died. That's what's important. That's what I look for in coaches. I can teach you all the other stuff. That's easy. I can't teach you to care about people. Yeah. There's a saying it's Zig Ziglar actually who teaches sales. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. read his stuff, yeah, but yeah. he has a saying, he says, if you get, if you give enough people what they want, you'll get what you want. Yeah. And like, that's the first place that it starts. Like, w w honestly, frankly, I had to hire a grim reaper in my academies because I'm so freaking nice. I don't care how <laughs> horrible you are. I'm not going to want to let you go. So I need to like the hatchet man, the guy that's like, you, you know what? Guess what? That guy's fucking out of here. Right. You don't have two says about it. And I'm like, Oh, but like, we got to keep him cause this and that. And he's like, yeah, no, he's fucking toxic. He's got to go. <laughs> have you gotten rid of members oh yeah like that's something we talk about i think crossfit affiliate owners are notorious for like well they're paying me 150 bucks and i'm like yeah well, but it's, it's not just people that. hate them it's not just that you've you've like you've kind of got to have that personality to do well in the first place you care about people you want to help people right right but then you have to recognize like even uh you know a doctor if you're a you know a, a doctor has is a specialty right and mm -hmm. he can't cure everybody so like there's some people that come in and they need like psychiatric help. They mm -hmm. don't need fucking CrossFit or jujitsu, you yeah. know? And so you need to recognize that and be like, you know what? You're dishing out a lot of poor experiences, just like you said, for all the other members. You got to go. Yeah. And there's a fine line. Like jujitsu would probably help them, but only if they're helping themselves the other 80, 90% of the day, right? Yeah. It doesn't answer every, every problem. What, what was, can you give an example of someone you've had to get rid of at jujitsu? I have a great one. Uh, so is it right now you're going to get rid of me? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Do it right now. Live. This is, this is, you, you said the I've been wanting to go to 10th Planet anyway. It's okay. <laughs> the intervention's not for me. Um, so, uh, we, I mean, I can give some easy ones. We had a, What's it look like in the jiu-jitsu world? It yeah. looks like this. So we have a, a changing room back in the day that was more like a closet, and it had some shelves and a bunch of cubbies on the shelves. And people always say, like, man, I'm like somebody stole my, my stuff, my wallet, whatever, and then they, like, find it in their car or whatever it is. So for the most part, that just doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? But then we got like three or four reports. It was enough where it was like, man, they took the wall, the money out of my wallet. I know it was in there. So then it was like, freak, I think we have an issue. And so we looked at what classes it was happening in and we kind of profiled like it was a noon class. So it was all these like adult professionals and one college kid. So we're like, you know, who knows, but right. whatever. Let's see what classes he comes to. And then we actually, I'm proud of my sting operation. I took a <laughs> ballpoint pen and I pulled out, I blew ink all over this cache. And this then I put, I put yeah. my, my pants folded up with the wallet kind of hanging out and a bunch of cash in there. It was mostly ones. 
I'm Jewish. <laughs> nice. so I could say a Jewish bankroll. Or what do you say? No, it was, no, like, you get along. It was mostly ones with, 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 with like a 20 on the outside. Yeah. It looked like a lot of money. Guilt. Just kind You're of hanging out. <laughs> yeah, and so sure enough, this freaking kid shows up late. And then he comes walking out, and he's blue on the hands, mat, and he's like hands. looking at his hands, and they're all blue, and he's trying to wipe them off on the mat. He's like, like hey, totally confused. Talk. Yeah, it looked like a cat. And so th- I wasn't there for it because we we're afraid I'd scare him away because I'm so intimidating. <laughs> and they called the cops, and the cops came, and then they're like, "Hey, uh, come here, we want to talk to you." And they pulled him out of class, and they were like, "Look, they're like, did you take the, you know, did you take the sunglasses? No, no, I didn't take the sunglasses. I didn't take the, you know, I didn't take the money. Okay, I took the money. And then they're like, well, how about the sunglasses? No, no, I didn't take the. Okay." I took those. Did you take the shorts? No, I didn't take kleptomaniac. Oh, Full man. on kleptomaniac. And so whereas you think like this is a jujitsu school, like I'll be able to handle this. I'm gonna break both his arms or however <laughs> it is. But like you couldn't help but to at least me, because my personality I felt horrible for the kid. I felt right. sorry for the kid. Because at the end of the day, you're like, wow, this kid has a problem. And you know what that he was most concerned about at the end of that? Getting busted by the police for stealing all this stuff. He was most concerned that he wouldn't be allowed to keep training at the school. And he wasn't. And he wasn't. No, I sent him in 10th Planet. <laughs> <laughs> you got to refer people out. You got to refer them out. You know? You got to. A good, no a good doctor. No pockets in there. In a the good cards. doctor doesn't just send you away. He sends you to the right place yeah. where you can get some help. Yeah. That's right. Well, no, that, that's interesting. A very interesting story, which I think. Would it happen at a CrossFit like the same yeah. thing would happen? How about um, like on the mats? You, know, you get people that just dish out bad experiences. Like here's here's an ex- here's a, something that I like to say. I like to have my coaches be able to be swim coaches, not lifeguards. The difference is with a swim coach, you introduce somebody to water, you splash a water on him, they get comfortable. Then you bring them into the you know introduce you to water, bring you into the deep end. You like hold your breath, go underwater, come back up. You trust me because I'm your coach. You right. trust that you can handle it until eventually you're swimming. The lifeguard, when you're drowning and you're about to die, throws you a little buoy and pulls you out of the water and saves your life well on the mat it's the same way so i want every single person in my class to be able to train with every other person in the class and that means i'm going to have to adjust my training accordingly right and so if i can't do that then it makes me as if, if i have a student that can't do that so every time they're training i have to be like fuck who's jason training with because jason is going to eat the wrong person right and, and it might be, we might all picture a big ogre or it might be a, a small, you know, so a small human, guy. small girl, guy. you know, you have to, you know, you have to make sure that you, uh, I've, I've heard that described as, and I, forgive me for my ignorance, but the, that's kind of like the, the people that you want to have in your, in your studio, like they, they understand how to train like one up and one down, like one belt up, one belt sure. down, kind of, I mean, like your kid, if you, yeah. do you have kids, I do have two. How old's your older? Uh, eight. Eight. When you wrestle with him, do you beat the fuck out of him? Oh yeah, I beat it's her a up. girl, but yes, he does. Yeah. That's how it is. He, That's how it is. We've watched. So it, you right? know, yeah. you're out. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> you know, like how would you roll with somebody you cared about? What yeah. if it was your mom? What if it was your yeah. dad that you were rolling? How do you roll with them? Like, do you beat them up? And and it's not just about whether they leave with both their arms intact. Like, are they bawling and right. phys- mentally traumatized and they're going to need therapy? Right. <laughs> you know, right. like you know, and you got to and then, and then you have yeah, to yeah. give people clues. You have to conclude. You have to be like, if your partner looks like he's having a miserable time and he's not smiling, (laughs) it might not be you, but it might be. So do what you can to make him enjoy himself. Like they look like they're having a miserable time. They might be having a miserable time. It might be because of you. So just try to make him smile. You guys laugh, but you hear that a lot. You and whoever's teaching your 
are always great about that, reminding people. And I think that's it's important, but no different than a CrossFit affiliate. You know, when we kick off three, two, one, hey guys, this is just exercise. Yeah, calm like, down. Let's not get too wrapped up and let's have a little bit of fun. Here's one, and this could relate to you guys, that we had a guy come in. Finney McMahon has his school in Fort Collins, and he was the first instructor to leave. That was who you were referring yeah. to earlier? Good friend of mine. I was very sad when he left. Great staff member. He left. That's, you know, is what it is. Mm -hmm. Still great friends. We had this guy come in, and the guy... He's like, he, he performs on Pearl Street and he dresses, he looks exactly like Michael Jackson and he had like a ton of hair product in his hair, which we work very closely. So you're going to get it all over yourself. Right. And he stunk. Like when he walked in, probably perfume or something. When he walked in, the whole gym smelled like him. And so Finney goes and he gives the sales presentation to the guy. Oh no, Elliot gave this presentation to the guy. And then I walked in and I'm like, Elliot. What, what did you do with that guy? He goes, oh, I set him up for an orientation just like you taught me to. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, so you're doing an orientation with him? He's like, no, man, I set him up with Finney. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, you freaking, you know, like just to fuck with him, you know? And then so Finney comes in and he's like, and he's, I come in after he comes in for his orientation with Finney and Finney's like, I closed him, you know, like he, he enrolled as a member and I'm like, really Finney? And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, yeah, that was horrible, but I got him in. And I'm like, who do you think is going to want to be in the room with that guy? Like he stinks. Like he's just unaware. And he's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Well, what am I supposed to do? Cause we do like sales training. Right. Like, how do you, how do you, you know? convert the person from somebody who's interested a prospect to a member right. and he goes and he's like well what am i supposed to do like i just did everything you taught me how to do. and i was like man do everything wrong do everything <laughs> do the opposite of what we taught you like that guy who's gonna i go who's gonna want you're gonna be his partner Who's going to want to be that guy's partner? Not to be, you know, like I right. wasn't the most popular kid in school either. Like we have to be tolerant. Right. But at the same time, we also have to be, if you're in a room with Aware. a bunch of people working out, you know what I mean? You can't be like King Lear or you can't be like super smelly or you can't, you know, you have to be cognizant that there's other beings right. around. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a up close and personal sport. Yeah. For sure. All right. Before we wrap up. Oh, we're going to need you to just choke Fern out real quick. Yeah, uh, Rear naked choke. Rear naked choke. He's, you know, give him an experience and do uh, what yeah, jiu-jitsu yeah. is. I'll, are you I, serious? I promise I'll, be, I'll have I'm a good serious. time while you do it. I, I'm oh, serious. He, you know, never, you, you, never awesome. know, you never know with Fern. It's the best interview I've ever got. <laughs> I get to put him all, all the way out. to sleep <laughs> just a little bit. And the interview just choke everybody he, out. He, he can do it whether we want to or not. Katie, <laughs> I'm aware. Katie included. Hopefully one at a time. But, you know, it's been really great because, like I said, I came in here. Oh, two and a half years ago now, and from day one, I was like, man, I need to make sure that the CrossFit world sees what's going on here. I've always had a hard time getting CrossFitters to do jiu-jitsu and vice versa, but I think there's just so much overlap in the world, uh, in the two worlds. And like you said, I mean, jiu-jitsu teaches you humility and how to be humble, better than, even better than CrossFit, in my opinion. So that's interesting you said that. Something that helped me out a lot is that I would, every time I would travel somebody I, or somewhere, I would go and like look at all the martial arts schools, look at the karate schools, go to the CrossFit program, go take a CrossFit class, go to, you know, bar method, whatever it is. And for a number of reasons, first to like, see what it's like to be freaking horrible at something <laughs> and see how that feels and, and, and how they teach. And then second to see how they, how they're 
you know, how they handle it. Maybe it's their processes or maybe it's their coach or front desk person and see what they do. And, you know, and even if it's it's horrible, then you're like, wow, that was horrible. Why was it horrible? Are we doing that? Yeah. I'll, I'll never do that. Yeah. 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 But, no, you know, really that cool. can be important because it puts you in a vulnerable space. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a rock fit, you know, rock star crossfitter, rock yeah. fit cross star. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I walk in, I feel very comfortable probably anywhere, right. but right. I need to go. So then I need to go to like a dance class or right. something. Well, I think that's a level of humility that's hard. That's, you know, hard to find these days. But I think what you're, what you're suggesting is actively seeking that out. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm actually going to make myself uncomfortable, um, not necessarily physically, but just kind of like be really out of my element and not be like the person who knows what's going on. Get on the phone, call yeah. all the other, you know, CrossFit places in town. See how they answer their phone. Yeah. See, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's one of the advantages that he and I have with regard to it, just teaching. It was, we have been to so many affiliates and I've yeah. seen a lot of people that do things exponentially better than I do them. And I've seen people that do them really, really poorly. You can learn a lot, a from, lot both. from both. Yeah. So, well, cool. it's been a pleasure. I look forward to coming back. Um, we'll choke for now after we <laughs> stop recording. But thank you so much, Amal, for everything you do here. It's been it's been great. You know, just like when people move around the country, CrossFit becomes their family. I mean, all my friends, the, the three that I have in the area, are from are from here, and it's you know it's the same thing. It becomes your family. So, but it, it starts from the top, just like it does at the affiliate level. So, you've yeah. created something pretty awesome here, pretty special. You continue to work on it, and it's just. Awesome for us to see another yeah. expert continuing to strive to be better. Yeah, this has been really cool. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank Thanks you guys so much. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Best Hour of Their Day podcast. We appreciate you listening and choosing to have us help you in your passion for coaching and affiliate ownership. You can find more episodes just like this on all podcast platforms. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach out to us on any social media platforms or you can visit www.besthouroftheirday.com to book a call. If you found this episode helpful for you, please share it so that we can help other coaches and affiliate owners to help build a bigger and stronger CrossFit community. Thanks for listening.